My next guest I had the privilege to sit down with is the director of youth organizing for the GSA Network. They are a queer and trans DJ. They are an avid record collector. When I tell you avid record collector, like they have thousands of vinyl records that they have in their possession that they've collected over time. And they are a community organizer. If I had to uh, put together a list of people who I've come in contact with in my life, who are my favorite people uh, or favorite person to be around or to talk to or to hold space with, it would definitely be my next guest. And it's just not just when I say a beautiful person or I, I don't mean necessarily physically beautiful, even though they're they're an attractive human being, but I mean inside right? Their spirit and just the energy that they give off, uh, that they exude from their person. And I pick up on that. And so they, if I had that list of my favorite people in this world, they would definitely be on that list. So I'm not going to even tell you what this episode is about. You're just going to have to listen. Hope you enjoy. Hello and welcome to Them Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Aaron, he, him, his, and I will be your guide throughout this journey on the show. This show is a platform where trans men of color voices will be amplified as we share our stories. Trans men of color are not monolithic. What that means is our journeys are not the same. We come from different backgrounds. We have different stories, family relations, chosen family, and most of all, we have different transition journeys. Visibility equals possibility. I like to say that all the time. We like to highlight on this show trans men of color businesses and entrepreneurs, parents, athletes, survivors, and many other issues and topics that are relatable to trans men of color in our existence. Them Boys Podcast is not only a platform to amplify our voices, but to raise awareness and conversation around our lived experiences. So thank you for tuning in. Thank you for supporting, listening, and sharing the show. Welcome to Them Boys Podcast. I'm your host, Sean Aaron. He, him, his. My next guest is a record collector, a queer trans DJ, and director of youth organizing for Genders and Sexualities Alliance Network. Welcome to the show. So glad to have you. Hey, Sean, thank you for having me. Yes, yes. You want to go ahead and introduce yourself for folks? What's up, everybody listening? Uh, my name is Gabe or Gabriel. I use he and him pronouns. And um, yeah, uh, really appreciate the invitation and really happy to be here on Them Boys uh, with Sean. Um, and I uh, hope everybody's doing well. Thank you for that, that intro. I was telling uh, Gabe before we started that we've had little contact with each other over the years but like you are my favorite person one of my favorite people and i say i don't i don't take that lightly so like your energy and how easy <clears throat> excuse me how easy our conversations were in in the and like you said the intentionality of our conversations and i really really appreciate who you are as a person and so i'm so glad that you're here and and, and able to share your story with folks yeah, appreciate you. That's that's that means a lot to me, Sean. And I feel the same way. You know, I'm happy to come. Our our paths are are uh, parallel, and happy to cross again now with you in this in this moment. See you do your thing, and shout out to you for all the work you're doing to have space and create narratives. Uh, very important uplift narratives, you know, especially for trans mass folks. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because our stories, we're, we're not monolithic, right? So it's like we all have different journeys and experiences and past. And yeah, so it's it's important to share our stories and, and show how different we are, but how the, how different we are, but how we're still the same. Right. Yeah. So, we're, yeah. Yeah. So where are you located, Gabe? Um, I'm based uh, on Tangva territory, uh, land acknowledgement of the indigenous people here, um, also known as East Hollywood, um, Los Angeles area. Oh, nice. How's the weather out there right now? It's good. <laughs> it's fun. It's been funny. Uh, the sun is out now, but it's been gloomy last couple of days. Um, but it's sunny, a little warm. Y'all had that, uh, that hurricane scare for a bit. Did you feel any, any difference or was that just all hype? 
Yeah, that's funny. You know, it was it was <laughs> it was a moment. Um, it was okay. You know, we had rain. It to be real wasn't that bad. I think the the alerts made it like kind of escalated mm. um, and to grew anticipation. Um, but besides rain and I think some affected areas, it was not it was not as bad as the media made try, it to be. They, to make it be. <laughs> they say it never rains in Southern California. And from the times I've been there, that's kind of true, right? Like it's always nice, always 70, 80 degrees for people who've never been there. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah, more or less. We get a little rain out of the out of the year. Oh, but, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's too much traffic though for me. So <laughs> that's it's, like, it's just like the Bay Area. It's just too much damn traffic. That is true. It's yeah. it's a whole journey. If you're gonna go out, especially during times of the day, <laughs> be ready. Just ground yourself. Just just. <laughs> Level level your expectations. Definitely need to ground yourself. Yes, yes. You would be provoked. Road rage will be provoking. That's for sure. Oh my goodness. Yeah. No doubt. Yeah. So the name um, Gabriel. How did that name choose you? Yeah, I. um, It's actually very, very similar to my birth name, um, which Gabriella, um, and throughout my years. Uh, being me, just being me, my homies would call me Gabe. Just folks were the first to call me Gabe before I even called myself Gabe. And, you know, I think it was just a way of like seeing me for who I was. So that name Gabe, Gabriel came very natural to me. And uh, when it came down to deciding, I felt that was right. It just, it, it came to me. It's it's funny that you say that your the homies called you that. I've had several guests who said that folks would call them that that they grew up with, bef- their name that they chose before it even happened. It's almost like manifest destiny, right? Of like, yo, this is who you are, and the universe is showing you this is who you are through other folks, right? I love yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. So you want to share with us um, your journey, your transition journey from beginning into where you are now? Yeah. Um. So I think for me, my my transition, if I look back, I it's always been there since I, you know, was born. I think I as a young kid, um, and even memories that I can't remember, but my parents, my siblings have been able to tell me, like, oh, you were like this when you were a kid. Um just ha- I've always asserted myself, like who I wanted to be, the way I express my gender and my clothing, um, my mannerisms, or maybe the the things I wanted to associate myself. Um, I have always just been myself. And that has been affirmed by stories and experiences that I am conscious to, but also other folks noticed. But it's been like a like a journey it hasn't always been easy it hasn't always um been hard like hard as well there's been great ups and downs and along the way i think particularly in middle school and high school is when i started to like experiment with my um experiment in the sense of like i consciously self-determined that i wanted to do things that affirmed who i was by the way I dressed or maybe I did my hair. Um, and I, and I made decisions as a young person to do that. And I say experiment because that wasn't what was expected of me. Um, and it also, what it went against what society or, um, you know, what I was uh, told to do or, or dress like, et cetera. Right. So, I was experimenting in the ways I felt safe to me, <laughs> uh, you know, surviving to feel good about myself, um, express myself in the ways I wanted to. So I started really young, like middle school, maybe actually even younger, but, you know, went on um, to, to high school where I, I first uh, came out as, uh, you know, queer 
And that was really cool and exciting because I found other young people, my peers also, you know, just wanting to create space that spaces and connections that felt nourishing and affirming to their um, to their identities. So, you know, you find the other queers <laughs> and you build community, you know, and you start learning about different identities and ways to take care of yourself and culture. And, you know, um, and that was a really exciting time. Um, and I think later, though, maybe in my like, as I was leaving high school, um, to be real, like, I didn't really grow up knowing about trans people. And if I did, it was very, very limited. Um, and not always I don't think I had very positive um examples of trans experience. So my 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 knowledge of myself was 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 given to me. It wasn't accessible. So it was a little later that I think in my 20s that I got introduced to like stories of trans people. I, I met other trans people and that was mind blowing. It was, it was so, it just felt so um, familiar. And it felt like something that I was, I had always been searching for, but I didn't have words um, to articulate how I was feeling. And the, the this deep yearning of wanting to identify um, in a way that resonated with me. And so, yeah, like it was a little later in my 20s that I officially came out as transgender. And um, re real talk, you know, I've been transitioning though, right? Like since forever, um, how I transition and how I affirm my gender played out in different ways. Um, and so later on in my 20s, that's why I, I, I decided to do um a hormone replacement therapy so i i was on teeth starting uh 2012 so yeah about 11 years now this is gonna be my 11th year oh, 11 years that's yeah. that's huge yeah yeah you said that um go back for a second you said in junior high school and maybe even younger than that you said experimenting with your gender identity and we we all know that at that age you, we don't have jobs and we don't have money right so we rely on our parents to purchase items that we need so i wanted to ask you like what type of experimenting did you do and how did your family react so your parents your siblings how did they react in and granting you what you needed in order to ex experiment with that i think you know it was like the way that i dressed myself was one major way I would uh use the clothes uh well th there's other circumstances too there's like class conditions too right like uh my family did there was like a lot of like hand handy downs you know like you know use the clothes that was from your older siblings I'm the younger one so there's a little bit of that was like a that was already like a norm in my family right and then um another thing, I grew up going to thrift stores. That was something my mom showed. So, you know, I I I had those ways already. And um I I learned to cut my own clothes or sew my own clothes, um, tailor essentially my own clothes the way that I felt felt good to me and I and um put on my body. So that was one way that I experimented. Um, I think another way was um, when <laughs> me my, I have a good friend, uh, Ivan, uh, my bestie, you know, I, I would borrow his clothes. We would go out. <laughs> I would go to his house before and he would give me, he would like be like, yeah, go, you know, at the time we were the same size. So, <laughs> you know, just take his hoodies or his pants or his shirts. And and then like maybe change back to my clothes and go home. So there's a few ways. Um, and then I think just maybe experimenting is not the right word, but like I would just push the boundaries a little bit. You know, I would say like I don't want to do that. 
I would say no, you know, try to assert my voice and and see what happens. I think that was something I really um, admire of my younger self, that I was willing to just see what happens. <laughs> and that's a way, push the boundaries a little bit. Um, when I would tell, like, let's say my mom, like, no, I don't want my hair to be dressed like that. You know, but got away with some things and then some other things, you know, hurt my little soul too. What would your what would your mom say to you though? If he's like, nah, I don't want my hair like that. You know, I I I really appreciate my mom. She's a very amazing mother. Um I think she I, I'm very, very fortunate. She she would just she wouldn't react too harshly. I will say that. Um my mom's a little bit of a tomboy um herself. And so she's not like a super high fam and i don't think she was trying to like impose a lot of like over the top feminine <laughs> feminine you know expression on me but um i think she was confused and she was just like why why wouldn't you put your hair in you know little ponytails or you know little clips or something she just thought i was different so she for the most part i think she wasn't like totally like affirming to the extent that she was like all right what do you want you know but she would just be like okay fine all right (laughs) um you're lucky for that too though no big time yeah i know my mom didn't my mom never forced me to wear anything that i didn't want to wear other than when we had to go to church which i hated well, I had to wear a dress to church because the church that we went to, they believed that women shouldn't wear pants. So I had to wear, I used to cry. Like I would literally cry. I hated it. I would, I would cry, especially like after church when my mom needed to make dinner and she'd be like, okay, no, you going in the grocery store to get something. I would cry. Please don't send me in that store. I would walk back to the store once I get home and put my pants on. Please don't make me. She used to make me and I would go in the the store with snot in my nose and tears down my eyes because it just I was just so fearful of being in a dress in public. But other than that, like during school or when she went school shopping, she never really forced me. I always had jeans and hoodies, which probably is a mistake because that's all I wear now. <laughs> but it's like she didn't make me right. And and that's a that's a blessing to not have a parent that was like, now nah, you're going to put your hair in these pigtails because I said so. Right. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Hey, this is Sean Aaron, the host of Them Boys podcast. Are you enjoying the podcast so far? Great. I'm glad that you are. Would you consider donating today to help support the continuation of this podcast? As you know, this podcast aims to serve as a platform to highlight and amplify the voices of trans men of color and share our transition stories. The podcast not only aims to amplify trans men of color voices, but it also raises awareness around our lived experiences. You would like to donate? Where can you donate? Great. I'm glad that you asked. Link in our description will take you directly to Network for Good, whom we've partnered with in order to collect donations for the podcast. Or you can visit our website on the website, click the donate button. And from there, you are able to donate directly to the podcast. All donations are tax deductible. What does the donations go to? Oh, I'm glad that you asked. Your donation will help to support our production costs. We are working with Jasmine from Pink Lady Productions that brings you this awesome content. And also, we pay our guests an honorarium. Pay our guests an honorarium? Yes, we do. Why? Because as trans men of color, we would like to support and uplift each other and honor the time that's given out to come here and share their stories. So if you love this podcast, share and donate. See you on the next episode. Take care. In the household, was it your mother and your father or was it just your mother? I I had both my parents. Yeah. Grew up with both my parents. Mm, so how did how did your father react? Um my dad, so I came, you know, I came out to my parents, I guess in two two times. You know, first time as uh a gay kid i was like i'm lesbian you know 
Um, that was like when I was 16. And my parents reacted in different ways. Uh, my mom more with, it felt like coldness, like silence. Um, I think I know now more um, of my mom's way of communicating her emotions. Um, so I understand a little bit more, I think, where what that meant. Um, but in the time, it felt like coldness or silence. Almost felt like she was mad at me. <laughs> and then my dad, he responded more with um, like sadness and worry. And this kind of continued on even, um, or, or that same reaction kind of continued on when I came out as trans, a trans man to them when I was uh, like 20, 21. And um, generally, my parents, I think, were coming from a place of fear because in their lived experience, the trans people and queer people in their lives were met with violence. And so that they instantly thought like, my child is gonna have a really hard life and um, basically feared for my life. And so that took some time. Um, and there was also a lot of like apprehension, confusion, like sometimes moments where it's like, no, you shouldn't do that. Like, that's not good for you. Um, so there was like a, a need to have conversation and educate, um, which was hard, you know, at times. Um, but for the most part, I'm very, very fortunate. My parents are very supportive and accepting. So that acceptance um, is, does that trickle over now? Because that was 11 years ago, you said, right? So you're in your 30s now. So are you still feeling that acceptance from your parents and has has their feelings that you felt before when you first came out, has that changed any bit uh, at all? Yeah. Um, my parents, I love them. They're very, very accepting. Um, they're, they've grown to be incredible allies um, and extremely loving of queer people, uh, trans people. And they've continued to support me along the way. Um, I forgot to say this because it's very important, but my mom, um, when I came out as trans, she was actually the first person that attempted, like she she articulated for me because I I had so much internalized, you know, self hatred and and internalized transphobia that I couldn't. I was so scared to accept myself and say it. I was fearing rejection, all, all that, um, that I couldn't muster. I, I didn't have the courage to say it, but she knew that I was, I was going through a very hard time, uh, depression, um, just not well. And she, in the way that she could articulate it in her own language, she was like, it doesn't have to do with with you being, you know, part of the LGBT community. Does it have to do with that? Like, is it something about your your, your queer identity? She didn't say queer, uh, but she was like, it has something to do because you're, you're gay or do you want to be a boy? She said that. And uh, once she said that, like, I was like, okay, I, I get her and I can I feel safe and I can and I can say it. I can confirm that for myself and for this person as well yeah shout out to my mom because i think she had that compassion deep compassion and intuition to understand in the way she could like my child is is identity is blossoming and and i want to i want to be here to affirm that um so yeah to go back to your your question they absolutely have continued to affirm and accept and um they're also there with me when i got top surgery yeah they're they're incredible how does that feel for you and what does that do for your own mental health to know that your parents were affirming and and still are and are allies what does what does that do for you it's 
it's everything. Um, it, it, it's a huge foundation that I can stand on. Um, you know, I, as a person, I know that I have my own individual struggles and and matters of my own mental health that I'm responsible for owning and leading my um, transformation. So even though I have like issues that I'm still experiencing as now uh, an adult, at the end of the day, having that acceptance by family um, has huge immediate in the moment benefit and also like in the long run, I have something to lean on, you know? And I think that's, uh, yeah, I, 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 I'm more and more aware of how foundational that is to my livelihood, to my safety, to just my ability to pursue things even beyond just like my basic needs, you know? And um, I, 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 yeah, so I attribute that a lot to my family. Um, I, I, I wrote this down because I love what you just said. And I often um, tell folks this. I mean, people that are parents, newly parents, or let's say folks I talk to, or I don't know if I'm giving parental advice because I, I have a child as well, right? You said that your, your parents affirming you gave you that foundation. And I like to tell people all the time how important it is for your family to affirm you. Because if your family, your parents, or whoever raised you or brought you up, it could be, you know, a loved one, it could be your mother, your father, whatever, right? It don't matter what it don't matter what the world say. But if you have that love and acceptance for your family, you could take on the world, right? Because they gave you that foundation of love, affirming, affirming you, and and just allowing you to be who you are right so i think that's that's very very important and it and it kind of helps me to segue to like the next part of what i wanted to ask you um especially in this climate now in this country right and you're you're the a director of youth organizing and the youth right just to have that foundation from folks how so how first of all i want you to tell us about what do you do as a director of youth organizing? Let's let's talk about that first. Yeah, so I've been with an organization called Genders and Sexualities Alliance Network. Um, folks might be familiar with GSA clubs, um, formerly like you know, back in the '90s when it started, Gay Straight Alliance. Um, so you know, we work with those youth-led clubs on campuses. Uh, particularly middle school and high school. And also, you know, because of this movement of young people just seeking to have affirming spaces at school, which they spend most of their time, you know, eight hours of their day, right, at schools, um, because of their efforts, um, this has grown. The GSA movement has grown to... Um, even college campuses or elementary, you know, schools. So in this organization, we support youth to elevate their leadership, uh, their voice at school in their within their schools and communities to make changes um, for a more inclusive and supportive climate. Um, and as a director, I, I I've grown. You know, I was SoCal lead organizer. Uh, statewide manager and now recently uh, program director. We, um, well, my role is to coordinate the team, coordinate the team, um, help inform strategy and program development to meet the needs of these GSA clubs in California. And uh, we are constantly devising how within our nonprofit <laughs> you know, limited resources um, and staff capacity, how we can offer some tools and resources for these young people to lead their own change in their high schools and their middle schools. Um, so sometimes we, we also do uh, membership development, um, sorry, a membership meeting, uh, a space where young people can come as like representatives of their GSA clubs and talk about with other young people, 
hey, what are you experiencing in your school? Oh, what are you doing with your GSA club? And that creates a network of support. And also um, confirmation that they're not alone, you know, that just like, you know, them, they're also trying to lead uh, change or even just hold space at their campus and their community for LGBT young people. So what if you have, so maybe somebody listening or a youth may come to you because, right, we had, you just talked about having that foundation and having that affirming experience. What if a youth comes to you and say, hey, um, my parents don't accept me. Um, I'm having a hard time. Um, I don't have that foundation, right? And and coming from a place of privilege where you had that foundation, what would you say to someone? Like, what would be the advice that you would give them? That they are loved and they deserve love and respect. And that might not come from your family, but that can come from other family. And, you know, we also have the agency to create community and we deserve to have access to that. And there are people that have your back. Um, and, you know, to, to, to support them in connecting with community, I think is extremely a way to do that. And that's kind of how I see my role um, in the position I hold and the work I do in community. So, you know, I think ultimately family, biological family is extremely crucial and everybody deserves that. And the reality is that for many reasons, many conditions, not that's not the truth for everybody and still even in that they deserve to have community support love and respect and find folks and have relationships that can nurture them and mirror that um and that's the brilliance i think of queer communities and trans communities that we're so innovative and we're resilient and we've been able to do that through a form of choosing our own family and so there's a, I think there's power in choice, right? You can choose who you call family, um, what family means to you as well. Uh, and, and I know that's not like, maybe that's easier said than done. And in, in, in that, that's a journey to learn um, for everybody, um, but they also deserve that. I know you said it's easier said than done and right. And it's easier the older you get. Right. But what if it's yeah. somebody that's 12 and 13 and they're like, yo, that's nothing I can do. Right. Cause I'm in my parents' home and I don't have that. Like what would be your advice for someone that's younger and, and don't, don't have that opportunity to maybe get out of their parent, parents' home or have chosen family where they can go to. Yeah. I think that in those particular cases, it's important that they navigate the navigate their environment consciously with as much awareness as possible. So knowing like knowing what is gonna keep you safe um, and making choices off of that, right? Like so you 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 wanna you need shelter. Um, maybe your your parents at this moment they offer you a place to live, and that that's like that's important. Um, and while you're in that home, you know, to make choices and find that find that maybe middle or that wiggle room where you can still affirm yourself but not put yourself in danger. I think that I've had, I remember having conversations like that with some of my past students, right? Like what's, what's kind of that, what's that comfort zone and where, where's, where are you willing to stretch maybe to, to assert yourself or push boundaries a little bit without putting yourself in danger? Because ultimately your, your safety, your livelihood is important. Um, most importantly, and also Perhaps where where's the room where you're willing to tolerate um, maybe a little bit of pushback or not affirming comments. Um, and I think if young people have some more young, more people in their lives that can have conversations or even just listening moments um, or even coach them to like 
live in their agency, that's so important, you know. Um, I wish every young person can have that, you know. And then also, like, thinking about long-term, I think young people, we want we want things fast. You know, we have this, like, yeah, you know, we want this, like, we want to just do and live, and, and that's brilliant. Like, that's the energy we all need and we can use, you know, um, make change fast. Um, and also maybe thinking long-term, like, once you're 18, right, like, you can go. Uh, unfortunately, right, that's the state. <laughs> That's the state. Um, that's some parameters that we live by in society, right? But until you're um, when you're 18, think of the life you want to live too as well. Think of that. Envision that. Don't lose sight of that. And also in this moment where you're at, um, create possibilities within this world. And we're talking about youth, right? Um but we're t- but also it's it's the effects of adults that's putting this pressure on youth. Yeah. Um, right? All you have to do, I mean, it's easier said than done, right? In both ways, right? All you have to do as a parent is listen to your child. All you have to do as a parent is to affirm your child and, and get to understand your child on a deeper level than just what you and, and I what I like to think is we yes, this is your child. And I and raising my own child I thought this too. Yes, this is my child, right? But my child has to grow up to be their own individual self. I can only give them so much, tell them so much, show them so much. The rest is up to them. So it's about meeting your child where they're at and 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 really getting to know your child, not for what you think your child, who your child is or who you want your child to be, but who your child really, really is. And so that that, you know, I want to ask you, um, I don't know how much you deal with parents, right? But what advice would you give to a parent when they like, you know what, I I I don't know how to build that foundation for my child. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, in my work particular, I don't often work with parents, but I have had some instances. And I I think it's very much what you said, like meet your child halfway and and also get to know who your um your child is because that's a form of respect. And your person is their own person, you know, like you, as a parent, you feel like that is my child right? and you might have expectations of what it means to be successful or healthy or um, et cetera. You might have even this this vision of how you want to see your child, but actually doing that is limiting, you know, because you're not viewing this person in front of you in the perspective of accepting and and letting them self-determine who they are. So I think like that is always, I, I would hope, like I, I'm not a parent myself, so I'll say that to like, but I would hope and I would think that that's the stance parents should take, that our role, the parent's role is to guide and to nourish, not to dictate or tell them, how they should be, how they live their life. I think we go wrong in that. And, and we don't, we don't build people's abilities, natural abilities to have agency in their life when we just tell them what they do, what, what you should do, what you shouldn't do. So I think if we approach it more of like guiding or I'm here to just like, I'm going to be, a, I'm a safety net, but. And I, and I can give you guidance, but ultimately you choose and you make choices. I think we learn. We like, right. We all learn through our mistakes. Um, so I would hope that parents would learn how to do that. And I, I think it, you know, one, I think many parents, most people have a natural desire to do that, but then it doesn't carry out in their behavior because I think most anyone parents or not we operate from a place of most of the time we operate from a place of urgency or fear or our own insecurities um maybe our own biases and i think if we all as humans learned how to have more control of that or 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 not control because we're human we cannot control our impulses or desire but if we had we, we were consciously making effort to be responsible of our ish 
and less of putting that on others, I think we would be able to compassionately embrace who's in front of us more, you know? And I think parents have that great responsibility to do that, like listening, listening and not listening without already thinking what I'm going to tell you, you know, uh, <laughs> um, or just compassionately understanding someone's perspective. Um, yeah. And then, and then, and then I think education is just so helpful too, you know, <laughs> and the, and, and education that is based on values of, the dignity of human life because parent maybe parents are people we think we're being educated or we're being informed but we might not even be informed by the right you know fair and balanced and um humanistic <laughs> like it, it, it could be it could be a whole different agenda you know coming from a whole different agenda so i think that that's important too to be critical about i agree and I, my, my son is 26 and parenting didn't come with a damn handbook. You pretty much make this shit up as you go. <laughs> you do the best that you can. But I think one thing that I, I I mean, you know, as a parent, sometimes my son would say stuff to me and I'm thinking in my head, that is dumb as hell. But I would never, ever vocalize that. Right. That is something that he has to he had to figure out for himself. Right. So I think we have to as parents, because I'll speak as a parent, you have to learn how to be uncomfortable right and it's like you know it's an adult he will learn you know and there's some things that he'll come back and say you know what and and just recently he told me like two weeks ago he was like dad the one thing that you taught me was how to be an adult i was like it, it i was mind-boggled i had no idea right but it's like i gave him that space and then eventually he came to the realization of everything that i thought that i was teaching him he he figured it out on his own right but I, I, just like you said, I was his safety net just in case, you know, you need a little advice and you need a little bit of guidance. I'm here, but you got to go out and figure out this world on your own for the most part. Right. I gave you the tools to be a a good human being. And, you know. Hey, this is Sean Aaron. I'm the founder and executive director of Them Boys, Inc. I am also the host of Them Boys podcast. As you may know, Them Boys provides financial assistance to trans men of color in order for them to obtain gender affirming surgery. We have great news. We're currently looking for volunteers to help support our programs. Our programs include our gender affirming surgery grant program and also our personal care package program. We personally curate packages filled with personal hygiene items, just to name a few things like tissue, soap, towels, toothpaste, and toothbrushes. We mail them out to trans men of color across the country who may be in need of help caring for their personal hygiene needs. We are looking for volunteers to help raise funds to support our programs. Also, we're looking for someone locally to the Bay Area to help us put all of the care packages together. If our mission is something that resonates with you and you would like to help support our work, just let us know. You can send an email to hello at themboys.org. That is H-E-L-L-O at D-E-M-B-O-I-S dot org. And we will get back to you with further details. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoy the next episode. Gabe, so you are a DJ. Am I correct? That's right. Yes. I love it. I love it. I want to talk about that a little bit. Um, how did you get into that? Because you said that you're a record collector. That's always been like one of my dreams as a kid. I remember, oh, I guess I got to tell my age, but in the 80s, right? People got those crates full of vinyls. And Well, back in the day when DJs had to carry the vinyls in the crates, now you don't got to do all that. But you still collect them. You want to talk about that a little bit more? Yeah, I collect them and I DJ with them. <laughs> I play them out. I play them out, Sean. <laughs> oh, so you really play with them. Oh, yeah. wow. So you keep, so you actually carrying them in crates to the to the venue. At this moment, I was able to invest in some good gear. <laughs> but, <laughs> okay. but when I first started, yes, I was carrying <laughs> crates. Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. This kind of started also, also as like a young person growing up my Shout out to my sister who really exposed me to a lot of music. She, you know, is an 80s kid and, you know, was a teen in the 90s. So I kind of, in, through her, I inherited a lot of music, um, exposure to music. And then also like physical, physical music through the form of tapes, 
CDs. So like I grew up listening to mixtapes and there was always a thing about physical media. I think that I just called to me um, and also collecting things. And it, it followed me throughout my life. I continued to do that as a young person, started to collect records a little bit, buying records at shows. But I will say up until when I, when I also um, kind of si- simultaneously as I was really living out my true, fresh, you know, like embracing my trans identity. I also came back to music and particularly DJing in a way that I, that I never thought I would. Uh, it called to me, but I never stepped into it until that moment where I felt this energy of like, I want to do something for myself. That's not organizing. Um, that has, you know, nothing necessarily to do with, um, my particularly like heavily focused on like my transition. I just wanted something that was like me and something I could get lost in, like a practice cultivate. Um, and, 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 and I had always like an interest of being more creative musically. So I did it. I just said, damn, I'm going to do it. I'm going to jump into it. I'm going to teach myself. I'm going to start investing in gear little by little because it's expensive. <laughs> I would say that <laughs> DJing is not cheap, but um, it's expensive. Records are also nowadays can be expensive. It got popular again. Um, but yeah, like it, it became my healing outlet. It became my creative outlet that allowed me to like really get lost in it and find myself creatively and for that that was so healing to me and it still is um so i dj on the side uh, i um been very fortunate to play in all kinds of events throughout los angeles um even outside of la a little bit so, yeah you said that you wanted something that was just for you that didn't have anything to do with your transness or anything like that. So are you saying that you DJ and your trans identity is outside of DJing or do you bring your Absolutely. queerness with you to the plat- to the stage? Absolutely not. Yeah. Thanks for clarifying that. It, it, I'm, I'm myself always. Um, and I, I, I definitely bring my experience as a trans person into my DJing, into record collecting. Um, I think what I meant was like, I wanted a, a, a practice, something to cultivate my creative identity. And I think it was just like overwhelming, like the HRT and, you know, figuring out my surgery that I was just like, I want to do something. I'm more than, than just like organizing and focusing on, on my, my health. Like I want to do more than that, but I, 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 I feel that my intention with DJing has always been to uplift marginalized voices or marginalized experiences and also use DJing to bring community together. So I definitely love like being a DJ who can support my community uh, by showing up and playing music when I'm called to. One of my favorite moments was um, DJing uh, for a trans organization that, you know, through relationship, I had a connection with the organization. They're like, yo, we need a DJ right now on the steps of City Hall. <laughs> and I was like, hell yeah, okay, I'll be there. I took off my gear and, and we did it. Um, and also like just taking up space and DJing and final community that aren't you know aren't like it's just the norm everywhere right like general society marginalized folks um uh, marginalized um, people of color queer trans folks right like and so it's very important to me to show up in all my truthness all all my sense and and do the damn thing like be a dj be a record collector but this is also my story too <laughs> I love that. I um, love that. How long have you been? How long have you been DJing? 
I started like seven years ago. Um, and then it kind of got more, it picked up more seriously. And what I mean by serious is like, you know, having regular gigs, um, monthly and I kind of accelerated being busy, being a working DJ accelerated to, I think last three years, four years. Nice. And so from the first time that you started it, when you were looking for something to do creatively outside of everything else, do you still feel that that joy that you felt when you first started it? That's a good question. Um, in this moment right now, I feel like I'm searching to find that, that same joy. I'm being very honest right now, like, because also in DJing or create a a creative outlet, I have learned a lot about myself and also my creative focus interest has also evolved and I feel like I'm searching for that again um and I and I'm in a place of like I don't want to just do gigs just because I want to do gigs with like all my heart and I want to do it with a clear sense of purpose um so and, and and then also this curiosity to try different things in the realm of like music and djing and co- and record collecting so yeah i'm 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 very content with that new approach because sometimes you get lost when you do something so repetitively you get lost i don't know if that happens to you but you kind of like lose yourself so I, I feel like I'm in a moment of like regrounding myself and and feeling clear about my span, uh, my stance in the in the work of DJing and record collecting. So, what would be your new approach? Have you thought about that? Are you just you maybe hope to f- just fall into it or or what? Yeah, it's it's almost like uh, for me, it's actually going back to why I started <laughs> and. My 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 desire to DJ and collect records was to uplift communities' experiences that are marginalized, um, and also do it as a form of storytelling. And so, it felt like I got lost in that, but actually, I didn't. I I don't regret any all the wonderful experiences I've had, opportunities I've had in DJing. I just feel like. I needed to remember that why why I got into it and why I'm doing it, and it's it's evolving. So right now in this moment, I'm I'm hoping to start more of an intentional archive project. Uh, in particular, collect like I, I collect records from Central America. I, my family is from a Salvadorian background. And so there is a lot of music from that region of Latin America that I would love to just share with the world, like share more. And so I'm curious um, about putting it together, like as like an archive project where people can access more or learn more about music from El Salvador, Belize, um, Panama, Nicaragua, Honduras, Guatemala, Costa Rica, like all of that region, um, putting it together in the form of like mixes, um, maybe a radio show, you know, a channel where you can hear episodes of just mixes or people talking about it. So that's what I'm hoping. I'm I'm like dreaming and scheming of um, how I'm going to do it. Just just do it. Just do the damn thing, you know? Just fucking do it. Yes, yeah, do, do it. it. Do yeah. it. I love that. It would be nice if, like, um, it's almost like a late night show type of thing where you maybe bring on a guest from somebody from the vinyl. You play their music and talk about it. And I don't know. I like that idea, though. I don't, yeah. I don't know any South American music. So, like, if somebody put it in a mix and be like, all right, Sean, here, listen to this. I, I would I would do that. I would listen. Yeah. 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 yeah, and and it, it very much uh, shaped by things that I've been already doing. Like I, I'm in a 
collective with uh, a friend of mine. We share a similar like family experience and um, we DJ different events. And so I just want to like contribute more to that and personally lead some projects um, with this wonderful collection that I that I've been working so hard to collect, you know. Um, so yeah, I want I want to do that and just like kind of continue that effort, you know. I'm gonna have to ch- give you a soft push, like yo, like check do in it. with you, yo. Did you start it yet? Did you do it yet? What you doing with your life? Are you are you moving and you know? I'm gonna have to check in on you, make sure you do it that. So I how appreciate many, that, Sean. Yeah, so how many vinyls do you have? Do you know how many you have? You know, I was yeah, I, I think maybe about maybe three thousand. Damn. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, I think I think it's I, I need to count, but it's, it's it's pretty up there. <laughs> so you need a you need a place and a space where you put all that. Oh where, yeah, where you house it. Me in our apartment. No. And my, me and my partner, my partner is also a DJ and has their own records. Oh goodness! So I'm like, damn. Like when we moved in together, <laughs> it's all <laughs> it's all around here. But we we're creative with our space and our storage. But yeah, that's the dream. You know, maybe we can get a bigger apartment and have a room dedicated just to just dedicated for that. Yeah, or a garage. <laughs> you got the rack set up. Oh, that's <laughs> that's wow. Who helped you move? Like <laughs> like we didn't even get to the couch yet. We just moved boxes of, of vinyl. Yeah, <laughs> that's what I'm dreading when we leave this apartment. That's what I'm dreading. <laughs> How you gonna pack everything up? So this is the part of the show where I like to ask the guest a random question. I have a list that's always growing. I just added one extra question today before I got on this call with you. So there's 32 nice. questions on this list. Uh oh, it may or may not have anything to do with what we talked about today. You just pick a number between one and 32, and I'll read that question for you. I like that. Um, let's go with 13. 13. <laughs> 13 is actually an action. So tell us a joke. Oh, <laughs> oh damn. Okay. <laughs> let's see. Yeah, I have those corny dad jokes. Yeah, I got some corny uh, ones too. <laughs> <laughs> Why did Dracula need cough syrup? Oh, goodness. I don't know why. Because <laughs> he was coughing. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was definitely a dad joke, but I like that. I like that. I like so to dumb. say all the time. I like to say all the time. I ask, I actually do this every day. I ask Siri to tell me a joke, either in the morning or at night. That's a because- good yeah, because I either want to start my day with a laugh or I want to end my day with a laugh. And I'll keep asking her to tell me another one. If it's funny, I ask her to tell me another one until I, I get one. And I'm like, oh, that went funny. Okay, Siri, you're done being funny. So <laughs> I, I have a joke, actually. And this is it's not I'm, I'm going to have it's going to be gendered. I'm going to say he. But um, what does a robot do after sex? Does it? Ha- I don't even know how to say this word, but does he? Does he? No, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. Oh, okay. He nuts and bolts. Oh, that- <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's funny. That definitely didn't come from Siri, but I, yeah. <laughs> Gabe, thank you so much for being a guest on the show. I really appreciate you and everything that you brought um, for folks to listen and, and learn more about you. I appreciate it. Any last things you want to say before we, before we head out? No, uh, Sean, you know, I, I appreciate you so much. Um, and I'm really, really honored. I think I, I, this came at a really good time for me. Mm-hmm. So I, just in a space of like remembering who I am, you know, and telling my story and, so I really appreciate you allowing me to do that with you and always being so inviting and shout out to them boys um, yes. and and hoping all the best for you to continue growing your platform. Thanks, yeah. Gabe. I really appreciate that, man. I'm telling you, and ho- and hopefully everybody can see like you, you're one of my favorite people. I got a list of favorite people and you on that list for sure. 
You're definitely a good person. Uh, good vibes. I, I, I love you. you. Yeah, I love you too, brother. Thank you so much for being here. So we have reached the end of this episode. I want to say thank you for listening to Them Boys Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Sean Aaron. He, him, his. Be sure to visit our website at themboys.org. That is D-E-M-B-O-I-S dot Org. If you would like to connect with us, be sure to follow us on Instagram or Facebook. If you think you would be a great guest on the show, or if you know somebody you think would be a great guest on the show, there's multiple ways to request to be a guest on the show. First is you can go visit our Instagram page, click the link in our bio. And from there, you'll be able to request to be a guest on the show. Or you can visit our website, click the programs tab up top, scroll down to podcast, click the podcast button. And from there on the podcast page, you'll be able to request to be a guest on the show. Yo, we need questions, y'all. If you have those burning questions, a question that you want to ask me or a future guest on the show, there's multiple ways that you can send in questions, right? So first you can go to Instagram, DM us that question. Or you can email us at hello at themboys.org. That's H-E-L-L-O, like hi, at themboys.org. Be sure to like the show. Be sure to share this show out with your friends and other folks in your networks. So until next time, take care.